Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. together <laughs> right then we're all right here so welcome everybody to inside LA in Long Beach at Sacred Roots so I want to chat today about uh, the four foundations of mindfulness uh, mostly because I just talked about it at retreat. <laughs> so I wanted to keep it moving. Um, yeah, so we had a few people, Donald, Kathy, and Linda from, uh, from our sangha there. Uh, so they might hear a few things twice. <laughs> um, how did it go, Linda? Kathy. Excellent. Wonderful. One thing um, that, so it was a, it was a six day um, in Joshua Tree and a couple notes from retreat, there's always good stuff to come out of it, of course. Uh, one thing that really resonated with me was just how many people craved Sangha. So people came from all around the country and then we had a few people from out of country. And you know, they literally flew from you know, Colombia and, um, and whatnot just because they didn't have a retreat nearby. <laughs> and people that came from all parts of the country, one of the biggest things that people always ask is, you know, how can I find support when I go back home? Like, this is not, I don't have this where I am, you know, and I always feel so fortunate, <laughs> like, oh, we have this wonderful community, if you're around, you know, if they're around here, then that's great, but a lot of times they're not, so just gratitude, you know, gratitude for, for having community, for sure, came up. Uh, another thing that came up just kind of randomly, but in, in their interviews is that there is seems to be and I've noticed this a lot noticed this the last few years maybe more so than before which is a little bit of doubt coming into the meditation session <clears throat> on what you're actually practicing and this sounds fairly mundane but maybe because we have a lot of choices that it's a little bit difficult to narrow down on something, but just a very simple instruction that before your butt hits the cushion, like know what practice you're going to do and stick with it and like stay with whatever that practice is. I know it seems fairly mundane, but, and then also too, like when we're in the meditation session, the mind loves to jump around, like I'll start with breath and then I'll do a little a loving kindness, but man, I'm bored with that. So now I'm going to zone out a little bit and think about this, and then I'm going to come back and finish my book in my head, and then I'm going to do a little bit of worry meditation because that's always fun. Have been a little craving mind, and then, uh, oh, what did I start with? 
The breath, yeah, that's right. Oh, that was boring. Back to love and kindness, you know. And, oh, ding. And then we get up. So this is, yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're good at that, you know, staying on, staying on the surface instead of diving deep. So there's, there's all that work to do. There's that, that layer, you know, that, that layer of that worry or concern or just that whatever that layer is, it's just that very crowded layer. Right? But with each breath and with each returning, you know, returning and staying, with each time we return, that rock goes a little bit deeper into the water. With each breath, it goes a little bit deeper. Each time that we recognize and wake up, oh, look at the mind trying to be pulled away. But then I'm coming back every time. It becomes a little bit deeper and a little bit easier because the more times that we do that, the further away we're getting from that kind of chaos of the mind. We're getting deeper into the water. We're getting deeper into the stillness. We keep going. We keep going. And then, all of a sudden, we just arrive in this place when we're not pulled away anymore, right? We're just awake. Yeah, so, so a couple, just a couple things. So coming into this when I was preparing for this talk, so the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the discourse on the four foundations of mindfulness. I love this teaching, and it's very kind of dear to me uh, because it took me a while to find it. Uh, it's kind of like have you ever had that feeling where you're kind of late to the party on something like? Like you, you find out something about something, and then you go tell all your friends, and they're like, "Yeah, we, we all, everyone does that." Um, that's kind of how I felt with moment-to-moment -moment awareness. Obviously, like in the late '80s, early '90s, like mindfulness wasn't as popular, but it was totally there. But for some reason, in my early seeking. I found other meditation practices, and they're all wonderful, you know, really wonderful practices, mostly from, like, the origins were more Hindu, more yogic, and a lot of concentration practices, a lot of visualization, like mantra type practices, absolutely amazing practices, wonderful when you're on the cushion. But in my head, I always wanted something that I could do all the time, like, every single moment of every day, like I wanted to practice all the time. And so when I would meet teachers, I would ask them, what can I do all the time? And they never came up with an answer that I really liked, that really felt good. I remember the first day I landed at the first retreat center that I lived at. I ended up living for a couple of years at this place. And I went to the teacher the very first day and he said, what can I do for you? And I said, I want to practice that I could do anytime, anywhere. And he said, okay, cool. He says, you know, you want to bring in your right intention. He says, you want to bring in your intention. You want to bring God into your heart. And every, every activity that you do, it's, you know, for that intention. And this was, you know, not, not a Buddhist center at all or whatnot. And, and but that's sage advice. That's wonderful. Very good advice, something that I still do. 
know, dedicate you know, my intention to that. But there, were, other than that initial intention, I didn't really have a practice to come back to. I didn't know what to do. And so it wasn't until I started living at the, the Buddha centers where this became an everyday, you know, moment-to-moment practice. But I remember when I found it, because it was like 12 years into my practice, I remember when I finally found this, I was super excited. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, wow, like, there's no difference. It's like, and this is so obvious, but there's no difference between sitting on the cushion and, like, making, like, cooking food. Like, there's no difference. There's no difference listening to someone talking or driving on the, driving on the 405. Like, there's no difference. So finally, I felt like this is it. Like, I really found a home. And I think part of the teachings, because this teachings is crazy, crazy simple. Crazy simple. But if we don't have, like, we don't honor it, it doesn't mean it's not powerful. It's super simple. But if we don't honor it, then it's not powerful. You know, almost like, yeah, of course, you know, it's like that. <laughs> So if we have that motivation and can see that that this moment-to-moment awareness and these four foundations of mindfulness, that's all it is. It's just coming back. It's just an, um, an anchor, a reminder to come back in all these different areas of life. That's, that's all we're coming back to. Uh, there's one more thing I wanted to talk about before I got into them, though. Yeah, the motivation. Yeah. And I think that the Buddha just really loved, like, all of this is just hanging out, hanging out with what's real, what's true. Like, how many, how many of us have a body? <laughs> the body's real. So the Buddha's like, okay, that's real, that's one. How many of you have feelings? You have feelings? Yeah. How many uh, people have a mind? The, what's that? <laughs> most days most days mind and then phenomena so the last one is like all like dharma mindfulness of dharma which is like all phenomena so phenomena life right everywhere right so all these things are real yet a lot of times we're actually not hanging out with what's real yeah we don't like to hang out with what's real so much we like to hang out in rehearsing and rehashing and fantasy and we're all over the place like right now, we all have our worries, right? Concerns in, in life and, and whatnot. But actually, what's real right now, we're just 30 people hanging out in a room, right? Just breathing. That's it. Actually, we could do, we could do a little experiment, right? So let's just, do, let's just do maybe a few conscious breaths together, okay? Just really quick. So maybe get into a posture. This is going to take a lot of concentration, right? Because we're just going to do a few. So this means super, super focused, okay? So let's just focus on the breath, meeting the body at the tip of the nose. So you can do this at your own pace. As you inhale, notice a slight cool sensation as the breath enters the body. And really hang on moment to moment, feeling that sensation as the breath moves through the nostrils. Lots of concentration. Notice the exchange as the inhalation exchanges itself for the exhalation. 
Noticing the slight warmth as the breath exits the body. Noticing the exhalation as it exchanges itself for the inhalation. Fully focused. One more breath on your own. Okay, so just quick. So, hopefully, there were a few moments of focus there. Yeah, a few moments. Did still, did mind still try to wander? Damn, damn little mind, still tries to wander. So, in those moments of focus, where were all your problems? In those, what's that? Elsewhere. Elsewhere. Non-existent. Non-existent. Yeah. Not present. Not present. Do you know why they weren't present? Do you know why? Because you didn't give attention to them. Because you didn't give attention to them? Yeah, and? They're not real. They're not real? In the moment, they're not real. They're not real. You know why they weren't there? Because they're not here. Because <laughs> they're not here. Like you said, they're, they're not real in the moment. Because they're not. Because they're not. So this is the, the, the classic Zen don't know mind. Don't know. Like once, once we leave this room, like we don't know. We don't know. None of those worries or concerns or anything or the past or what people think about us out there or whatever. Like we don't know. None of that we know. None of that. We know right now. We know this. We know this. This is it. You could think, I don't know what you're going to do when you leave here, but do you know for sure that's going to happen? No. Yeah? So Bob and I, you said we're going to hook up later, and we're going we're gonna to hang out later. But I don't really know that's going to happen. But I hope it does. I hope, I hope we get to hang out. But I don't really know. Yeah? And so this is beautiful because it, it's about capacity. Right? So if... If we stay with just what we need to be with. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to be in difficult times. But when we meet difficult times, we're going to meet it with more capacity. Right? Because if we're busy, always worried and concerned and whatnot, even when those things are not there, we're going to be full when we meet those difficulties. We're not going to have enough room. So we say things like, I'm on my last nerve. That means like, <laughs> I'm, I'm full, right? I'm full because I've been worrying about stuff that's not there for so long. <laughs> now that I have met something that's actually real, I have no capacity to hold that. Yeah. So these four foundations of mindfulness are ways to pull ourselves back into what is actually happening. So the first foundation is mindfulness of body. The body is real. It's happening. right? It's also 
interesting to note that it is a happening. There's very little doing. Think of all the things that are happening in the body without any any concern of ourselves, right? The body, the blood's flowing, the digestive system's, system is working, all that stuff. Thoughts, right? Thoughts are coming all on your own. Don't worry about it. They're going to come. All on their own, everything, even listening. So stop listening. Stop. Don't listen. Stop listening. Well, stop snapping. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> so even listening, automatic. Everything's so automatic, right? <clears throat> so being with body is being with body as it is. So unpacking very quickly, right? This is the four foundations of mindfulness, right? So we're meeting the body with mindfulness, yeah? So what's mindfulness? Just popcorn. What's an element of mindfulness? Attention. Paying attention. What else? Non-judgmental. Non-judgmental. Paying attention non-judgmentally. Moment to moment. On purpose, moment to moment, paying attention to the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally. A working definition, yeah? Right? So this is how we're meeting it. So we're meeting the body just as is. Not how I view the body, like my story about my body, but we're just meeting just the body. And so the Buddha here, and I'm actually going to read a little bit because I want you to see, so this is, this is, Fairly right now, the universally the the most um, the best translation of the Satipatthana that we have. So this is a beautiful translation, and I want to read if I have it earmarked right. Yeah, so this is the direct translation. I want you to see just how incredibly simple and how unchanged this is like from the Buddha when supposedly he said it like this so of course he's talking to monks like how does the monk do it he says breathing in long he knows I breathe in long breathing out long he knows I breathe out long <clears throat> I breathe in short no, breathing in short he knows I breathe in short breathing out short he knows I breathe out short so simple so again, this is no manipulation. It's recognizing what is, what's already happening. So it's not breathing in a certain way. Um, we don't need to mess with the breath. It's just recognition of what is. And along with this is a refrain. And this refrain happens in this sutta 13 times. And it's just the recognition that when we're paying attention to body or emotions or whatnot, we're paying attention to impermanence right the rise and the fall because is impermanence real yes impermanence is real so we should get on board with that too right <laughs> um it's all about just being at ease with what is yeah so the refrain is in this way in regards to the body he abides contemplating the body internally externally both internally and externally he abides contemplating the nature of arising, of passing away, of both arising and passing away in the body. Mindfulness that there is a body is established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. And I love that. The body, the mindfulness that there is a body is established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge 
for just bare knowledge, nothing, no story about it, and continuous mindfulness. So just resting it on the body. And like the fruition of this is told in this wonderful story I want to read. It's the fruition of what is it like when we're actually just with the body as it is? Uh, what is the kind of wisdom that we could take from that? I want to read this um, this story. So this is written by Beth Mulligan, who um, I was just able to uh, facilitate the Joshua Tree retreat with. And she wrote this wonderful book that I think I cited a few weeks ago too, The Dharma of Modern Day Mindfulness. It's a wonderful book. She's an MBSR teacher, and it really brings, uh, exactly as it, as it says, the, the actual roots of the modern-day kind of secular wave of mindfulness, she dives into where this all comes from. So it's a beautiful book, especially if you know people, they might be clinical types. This is a wonderful book for them. So she writes, I had a lovely young woman student who struggled a lot with body image. She was constantly thinking about her weight and her appearance. It was a source of great suffering for her and that nothing she had tried before could break the grip of these thoughts. After trying the body scan and mindful walking, she reported, I wasn't fat, I wasn't thin, I wasn't too anything. I was just me standing. Suddenly I felt so much gratitude for my feet and my legs. I felt so grateful for this body. And then I realized that everyone has one, a body, I mean. And it may sound strange, but I felt less alone. I don't know if I had ever felt this way before. Tears streamed down her face, and a profound transformation had begun, simply by bringing mindfulness into the body. So, this practice is all about relationship, like bringing a different relationship to what is, because usually the relationship that we bring is full is full with concepts and um, imputation, reification, like imputing on to what is. So the new relationship is as it is, right? I have a body. That's it. You know, I just read something earlier earlier today about self care. You know, about this woman. It was a, it was a poem, but it's beautifully written, and it was about. You know, I looked into my body today and I asked my body what it needed. And, you know, thoughts arose like, oh, it needs some, some fresh vegetables today. It needs yoga today. It needs meditation today. And then she, you know, she further looked into these things and thought, you know, that's just kind of her mind running. And then she tuned into the body a little bit deeper. And then the body said, you know what I need? I actually need you to love me just the way I am. Today, that's what I need, just as I am, you know. And so this is bringing that non-judgmental compassion awareness to just as it is. I have a body. You know what? The, the fact that you have a body, that's real. The comparing mind that comes after that, mm -hmm. not so real. Yeah? That's judgment. And it's just not there. Whether you're this or that or whatever, it's just not is, yeah? So, paying attention to body, what's great about the body, and again, as an anchor for mindfulness, coming back to present, 
present uh, moment. The body is always with us. Yeah, the breath. You hope you're breathing. You're breathing. Very good. So as an anchor, we could always come back. So another practice that I really like about mindfulness of body. This might be a whole just mindfulness of body talk because I'm almost out of time. Um, the four foundations. The the first foundation. The the wonderful practice that I really really like is just the body position, the position of the body. So Buddha went through mindfulness of a body lying down, mindfulness of sitting, mindfulness of standing, it could be mindfulness of walking as we know, mindfulness of running, mindfulness of tripping and falling down. <laughs> Joking, that's not in there. But uh, <laughs> you could. Actually, Byron Katie tells a story about how she tripped and fell to the door. And the way she describes it, it's like an enlightenment experience because that's like how she lives in this like eternity thing. So she's, she's like, she's going to the door. And so and it's almost like a movie that happens in three seconds. So she's describing this in such crazy detail that as she trips she falls into this absolute surrender. So she's like surrendering her entire being, right, into the infinite. And she's falling through space and just loving it all, you know, just loving every bit of this. <laughs> and then as she hits the floor, she just feels this nurturing support of the universe just catching her, you know, and then she lays there in bliss. I was like, yeah, that's... That's how we all fall. That's, that's how we all do it. She was just putting words to our experience. Exactly. Right. Exactly. You mean there's another way? <laughs> right. <laughs> but she was with what is, you know, just as it is. She just felt that. So mindfulness of body. Another thing about mindfulness of body, which is really wonderful, especially, and I think why it's this first foundation, is the body is moving slower than the mind. So it's really, really good to remember. The mind's going very, very quickly. The body going much slower. So when we're having crazy monkey mind, and rehearsing, rehashing, and all that stuff, coming into the body is very calming already yeah then i have another story uh just about this fruition of practice which i told at the retreat i have a really good friend of mine uh and he's i've actually talked about him before in talks but he's a guy that doesn't have any spiritual path and he's, he's the most spiritual guy I know. Um, he meditates and falls into these amazing states of wonderment. And I went to go visit him, and it's, it was, had been a while since I had seen him. And I brought um, the, the woman in my life that he had never met. And he lives in Vegas. And he shows up at the door, and I notice immediately, he's an Af African-American man. And I notice immediately, like, in his hair, there's just a strip of hair missing, like, like just off, off his head, yeah, just strip of hair missing, you know, and uh, he doesn't say anything, 
And like hours later, he never says anything, and we're just talking about metaphysical stuff, and and we're talking about egoic mind and, and all this. And he's like, yeah, like like this morning, man. He's like, he says I cut my own hair, and I was, you know, shaving my hair, and something happened with the adapter, and and it just like came off, and he just went and just shaved it right off. And he's like, yeah, I looked, and I was just like, ah. <laughs> and, and you know he's meeting he's seen me for a long time and meeting my new person in my life and he just didn't just didn't even trip and he's just like okay yeah and I, I was like you know but he is such a free being that I was just like yeah he just didn't even didn't even think of it but coming back like what's real he could have said you know Casey's gonna think weird of me or this and that like all the stories that we all could have said if we did that you know and he just really stayed with the experience of like that happened that was it didn't really think much of it <laughs> so depending on he's in the trades he's in construction so it's always nice that you don't have to be super presentable like <laughs> in certain situations you know of course if you have another position or something that could be a problem but um so, yeah, I could talk a little bit more. So, mindfulness of feelings. So, this is what's next. Vedna. Mindfulness of feelings. <coughs> Usually, these are in a few different categories. So, when we're mindful of feelings, we're mindful of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. So, without paying attention to pleasant... If we don't nip this in the bud, it could lead to craving mind. So unseen, so they say unseen pleasant leads to craving. Unseen unpleasant leads to aversion. Unseen neutral leads to ignorance. Ignorance in this way, again, not seeing things as they are. So I heard this one Dharma practitioner talk about he was practicing mindfulness of feelings and he was going in to his favorite cafe to get his favorite cookie. So he's like, I walk in and I'm already noticing, craving mind, I want my cookie. <laughs> right? And then, so he asks, oh, you know, I'll take one of those cookies or whatnot. And she's behind the counter, the cashier or whatnot, said, oh, we're sold out. He's like, unpleasant. <laughs> unpleasant feelings arising. Now, if you're with unpleasant, now you're with what's real. The story could have been, oh, I can't believe I added my favorite cookie, and woe was me, or I was just a cookie, but whatever you wanted to add to that, yeah? But what's real? Unpleasant. Hanging out with what's real. I had craving, and now it's gone. Another thing, too, is that we attach, we self-identify with all of these things. Yeah, but here's a good one to just kind of allow this to arise, is that we self-identify with what's arising. So we say my body, right, which is just a body, yeah, or we'll say like, like I'm the body, or we say things like I'm the feelings, right? So let's say if the feeling of tiredness is arising, yeah? So tiredness, 
But have you ever said, I'm tired? Mm-hmm. This is interesting. It's an interesting thing. Are you really tired or are you noticing tired arising in the body? So if, if the body's itching, do you say, my itch? Or the, the nose itching, is it yours? So this is an interesting thing. I like to use the hammer and the finger one because I've hit myself really hard with the hammer a lot of times. <laughs> I remember when I first got in the trades, like the first semester of my five-year apprenticeship program as a pipe fitter. Even though we were like plumbers and pipe fitters, the foreman that was you know teaching the class, he said, the hammer is going to be your worst enemy. Like you're going to hit yourself so hard with this hammer. Like, and he was right. Stupid hammer. Anyway, smashing but we say my body, like I have a body, I have a finger, my finger. But then if you were to hit it really hard and a strong sensation arise, you could say what? Like I'm in pain. So notice the difference? So this self-identifying of strong sensations, you know, just be, so like there's a sound outside, is that your sound? No. No? If I go and, you know, all of our shoes are out there, if I go and, and you know, kick your shoes, do you say, ouch? <laughs> but they're your shoes. Why not? They're your shoes. They're not my body. Yeah. So you, so you have a body and you have shoes. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. And we have thoughts, too. Like we'll say, so the next foundation of mindfulness is uh, mindfulness of mind, right? So now we have my thoughts, too, Yeah. When do they become your thoughts? Well, they come out of nowhere. Do you have a warehouse of your thoughts? When you attach yourself to them. When you attach yourself to them. Yeah. So let's say, I mean, not to be whatever, but let's say if, if you lost your arm, you'd still be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Right? So you say, I'm in pain when that hurts, but then if you cut that finger off, you're still there. So this is just an important... Um, curiosity to investigate right because we suffer like this yeah so we can be mindful of body and be with body but not to have to be attached of body because if body's in pain all the time and you say i'm in pain all the time now you're in chronic pain we build personas actually around phenomena arising let's take mental states so if you have a mental state of depression now you can be mindful of that mental state or anxiety, right? But if there's a continuity of attachment of like, you know, I'm depressed, I'm depressed, I'm depressed. Now you can become a depressed person, you see? And you can self-label this, I'm a depressed person. So we build personas around that. Instead of sadness is arising in my awareness. Sadness is arising, sadness is present, Sadness is falling away. That's what's actually happening. Sensations arising, sensations abiding, sensation falling away. That's what's real. Yeah. Anger, anger is arising, anger is abiding, anger is going away. That's what's real. So anything on top of this causes can cause a lot of suffering. But if we're just awake to that, 
now we have a lot of movement with how we want to actually so this is actually the next piece that I really want to kind of finish off with which is this of course does not mean non-action this does not mean non-action this means right action this does not mean complacency this does not mean oh this is just arising and following like anger is arising and this person's yelling at me and I'm not going to tell them to tell them off or anything like that you could tell them off <laughs> but as long as you're doing it by your own free choice, not by your habitual reaction. What I like to say is if you're going to show someone that kind of love, you know, let's say, um, in Tibetan they call this wrathful love. <laughs> like if you need to be wrathful, you dip it in compassion first, yeah? So if you need to be wrathful, make sure you dip that arrow in compassion and and then you shoot it, you know, because it's tough love, it's, right, all the facets of, of love, right? So, yeah, this, this mindfulness in this way doesn't mean non-action. It's actually very dynamic. It creates the space for right action to take place, compassionate action, wise action to take place. Yeah. Okay. So I'm kind of stopping in the middle, sorry. Um, but I, I, I also want you... Um, I want the wisdom in the room to to be able to surface as well. So um, so maybe just taking a few minutes, because I ran a little bit over, so maybe small groups, no bigger than three, to get a chance to chat about what came up for you um, so far today. So just turning towards people next to you. No no groups uh, larger than three, so two, two or three. shares to the larger group of what came up for anybody. Yeah. I asked both of the people I was with most recently, what about the stuff that comes up, the chatter, whatever that comes up? I know we're, I know the process, I get it. Go back to your breath, go back to, you know, the body scan, go back to the candle, whatever, I mean, but what insight do you get from those things that come up, you know, in, in your experience? That's, you know, because, you know, obviously, yeah. Just. The insight from some of the chatter that comes up? Yeah, or? I mean, what, because it's coming up, I mean. So. The example that I shared in our group was um, when my older daughter was, like, five or six months old, the 6 to 8 p.m. time frame was quite stressful. She was getting very fussy, and we were trying to get ready for bed and blah, blah, And at 8 p.m., I started to help myself to a glass of wine <laughs> because I felt exasperated by 8 p.m. after I put her down, and so I was getting less. And I started to realize, uh, if I do that Monday through Friday, that's a lot of wine, and I don't really want to drink that much wine. So I said, okay, tomorrow night at 8 p.m., I'm going to check in and see what I feel, and instead of going for the wine, I'm just going to be with the exasperated feelings. I'm going to be with them. Watch them arise, watch them by, watch them subside. So I put my daughter down after another sort of stressful two hours. I put her down. I checked in. I was not stressed. I was not exasperated. All that was there was desire. I wow. desired the wine because I made a habit of it. So what I thought, what I would have told myself was happening at 8 p.m. every night wasn't actually what was happening. Desire was arising. 
And then I was like, oh, well, there's desire arising, abiding, going away. And I just sort of stopped having wine at 8 p.m. So that was an insight. What was real was desire. What was not real was the, oh, well, my daughter, you know, she cried and this, and she sold <laughs> oh, me diapers and blah, blah, blah. That was, what was not real. Thank you. So there are things that, that when, when they arise, so we don't want to make it, there's, there's a different flavors and we kind of know like what we're pushing away and when we're just practicing non-grasping mind and coming back to the breath. So this is a great question and it's one that comes up a lot is that am I using this practice as a spiritual bypass or something like that? Well, I'm not looking at what I really need to look at very authentically and, and honestly. And one of the ways that we look at this is that, you know, if this thing keeps coming up and it's very, very stubborn and it's not just, you know, I forgot a list at the grocery store and all this stuff, we might need to turn the attention towards that. But in the ultimate sense, what we're looking for is to see the true nature of things. So there's different levels of like behavioral modification, but there's also that non-substantiality of any type of characteristics to all this internal phenomena, meaning that this table's real. You can GPS the table. Yeah, it's real. Yeah? So if I could, I could take it, and I would never do this, but if I hit you with the table, you could say, ouch, yeah? Now, if I hit you with a thought, how much would the thought hurt? <laughs> it depends on the thought. So, what what gives a thought weight? I do. I do. Because the thought's just a thought. How much does a thought weigh? Nothing. Nothing. Until what? Until I give it weight. It's expressed. It's expressed. Before it's expressed, it has to. There's a lot that goes on before it's expressed, right? It has to be grabbed onto attachment, all this stuff. On an ultimate level. We're looking into like the things that hurt worse are not substantial. There's no substantial characteristics to them. You could say that they're empty from inherent existence, right? Th those things that we're actually looking at in a very deep level, like those thoughts are actually not very concrete at all. Yeah? Abiding nowhere. Abiding, you know, coming from nowhere, abiding nowhere, going nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Not like on a relative level that they're not real. You know, so, you know, there's a thing that, you know, Beth was just, her and I were talking yesterday, and that there's no why in this practice. Not like there's no why in life, and I stay in my lane at a mental health facility where the therapist takes care of the why, but in this practice, we're watching, like, how <coughs> it's arising. We're watching what is arising. And we're just, we're just dealing with that. The why is it arising? That's more cognitive thinking mind. This practice is not really going into the why. It's just what's arising. And it's curious. It's not even mental. It's just experience. And how is it arising? Can it be the what is the insight? That's not why. It's the reveal. What's arising? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the insights here, when we say insight, mostly the, the Vipassana insights are mostly experiential. They're not a lot of cognitive insight. You know, the, the cognitive insight can be arising from a pure experience of the true nature of things. Like when you're like, oh, it's like that. 
it's usually not like, I was thinking, <laughs> you know, I used to, it's not quite like that. It's just seeing, you know, like that, like, oh, it's like this, like that. We have one more. Two minutes left. So, I mean, it was interesting. I, I caught myself in awareness this week when I uh, had a stressful thing at work and, you know, was, was feeling behind on it. You know, it was later than I wish it had been and all this, so strong aversion, so with wash dishes, clean up everything around, not deal with the thing that was actually there. I sort of caught that in a moment. And then, but before I caught a version, I thought, oh, my boss is going to be mad at me. It's going to be terrible. It's never going to get done. You know, it's all these other crazy sort of stories. I can actually sit and stop and say, okay, let's not deal with that. Let's sit with the unpleasantness of actually having to do this work, right? Mm, Which is, yeah. you know, not going to be fun, but, and sort of it was there for two days and gone. But every January for more than a decade, had to do the same sort of thing and sometimes that whole aversion pain crazy story it used to last for a month or more and yeah. this week it was down to like two days so, <laughs> <laughs> so I, kept, I kept going I kept going I hadn't figured out how to do it without that loop yet but, yeah. but at least the loop is you know short yes short and you know short and and it didn't go on literally for months and just <laughs> All of a sudden, it didn't keep you know, keep me awake two nights, not two weeks or two months or something. Very cool. Progress. It was just a nice little cool. bit of sort of catching it and not getting caught up and you know, but very powerful to believe. They don't have to believe those crazy stories. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and just stick with what's actually here in front of you: the keyboard, mm-hmm. the tightness in your chest, the you know, mm-hmm. and you know. You write two paragraphs, all of a sudden the chest is not tight. Your mind is, you know what I mean. Yeah, you sort of work, okay. but you know if you, but if you don't deal with that tightness in your chest, you could spend, you know, I could spend days, right, doing other things that's not dealing with that, not with not being able to see the real cause and actually just moving through it. So yeah. it's just all came sort of rushing back when you're talking today. And anyway, cool. I didn't quite have that vision when I was going through it. I was still. The story, I kept, yeah, the story I kept telling myself was, oh, why does it always have to be so hard? Blah, blah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I got rid of a lot of the stories, but that one was still in the back of my head. But now that I'm sort of through it, it's like, oh, wait, that was only two days. That used to be, that used to be weeks. Right, right. <laughs> anyway. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. All right, let's just come together one last time. As we come together to dedicate the merit, maybe let's just think about the people in our lives. And the communities around us. And about bringing whatever we get out of this time together and one, just the gratitude about being together and having this community. But how can we bring that out? And just by pure example.
How could we meet our family, friends, loved ones, colleagues, neighbors? fellow commuters, how can we meet them in a way where they could feel this practice? May all beings everywhere, without exception, may they be happy and free from suffering. Om Mani Padme Om. Just listen to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.